Welcome to the Team Building Podcast, where you'll learn how to build a dominant real estate team in your market. Featuring masterminds with team leaders and mega agents, plus in-depth interviews with operations managers and marketing directors of some of the top teams in the country. You'll learn the latest methods to generate and convert leads, streamline your operations, recruit and train better agents, and raise your profit. And now, here's the latest Team Building Podcast. Hi, Jeff Cohn here with the Team Building Podcast, where we interview top team leaders and broker owners from across the country. We're bringing you a special episode today of our Thursday high-level group team leader coaching product through Elite Real Estate Systems. You don't want to miss out on this amazing topic, which will help you scale your business and have similar results that our flagship team had going from 70 to over 700 unit sales in just six years. If you want to know more information about our high-level team leader coaching product, you can find out more information on our website at EliteRealEstateSystems.com or schedule your customized interview today at ERSDemoCall.com. Enjoy. So, um, I don't know how many of us were around in the business world when Y2K took place, but I wanted to kick off the call today speaking to this, and this was the crazy time in 1999, December 31, where people thought that the whole world was going to end because computer programs weren't written to extend into 2000, the year 2000. And so at that time, um, our company that I worked at, um, an indie brokerage, decided to start charging $100, um, $100 per transaction within that brokerage to back up all their data. And so leading up to Y2K, they said to all their clients, yeah, we have to charge $100 now. There was no fee up until this point. And they said, we have to charge this $100 for this offsite data storage. So if something crazy takes place or you know, an act of God, the place burns down, whatever the case might be, all the data is lost, we'll at least have it all backed up, all the files from the, from the last seven years. And so they started charging $100. Well, something rubbed me wrong as an entrepreneur when I got in the business in 2006 and said, what's this hundred bucks that I have to collect that I'm not getting to keep? And so the broker gave me that explanation, which didn't seem like it had a lot of, you know, sustenance to it. And they told me, you know, whatever you charge over the hundred, you can keep. I said, excuse me? They're like, yeah, whatever you charge over the hundred, it's just a fee to the client. It's a commission, if you will, to the client because it used to be called broker fees. Then we changed the name to broker commissions. And now we call them BAC fees, broker administration fee. uh, But it is actually a commission on uh, the HUD statement. So it's just like the 2.4% or 3% or 6% your client owes you on top of that, there's a broker commission. And early on um, in my own personal business, when I got licensed in 2006, I started charging $199 and I kept the $99 to pay for an admin. And flash forward to today, we charge uh, $600 on every buy side transaction and $999 or $1,000 on every sell side transaction. And what we found that in time as we grew, we were able to take 100% of those broker commissions, lead with revenue, and hire out new positions within our company by the money we generated off of the broker commission. So, you know, we spend right now, our overhead is probably about $350,000 a year um, in all of the different positions like Andy's role now as manager, Kevin's role as operations manager, um, Clayton as a trainer. Sign, uh, Stefan as our sign runner, Samantha as our lead transaction coordinator, and then we have a secondary transaction coordinator in Emily, and even myself 
um, I take payroll within our entity. And 100% of that is covered through a fee. And it doesn't seem realistic and I never intended for it to get to where it is today. Um, I'm really happy that it has. But fundamentally, um, the reason behind the broker commission was we wanted to continue to build support that would help the client and help the agent. And so what I have found is it really just comes down to you can either charge this fee and let your agents make more of a commission or not charge the fee and allow your agents to make less of a commission. But one way or another, you're going to need that extra. We found admin typically are about 10% of GCI. So if we were making 3 million gross commission, 300,000 went to admin support. And so you have to get that 10% one way or another. Gary Keller would say on MREA, you should get that by paying your agent less. They don't typically talk about broker fees and MSAs. They really just talk about paying agents less commission. Well, I have yet to see a dominating brokerage or real estate team um, that grows in scale, you know, more than 30, 40 agents that only pays out 40% commissions. So I wanted to have a team model where I was paying out 70% of GCI. And one of the ways we were able to do it is through broker commission. So we'll get, like I said, next week, we'll get more in depth into that. But one of the mindset pieces behind it, when agents have a heartburn about charging that to their clients, I always give them the option of instead of making an 80-20 split or having a capping model, they could choose to go to a 70-30 split, no cap. And of course, no agent's going to choose that. So we've essentially empowered them with the ability to make more money and um, charge the broker commission to their client to help us offset our costs of all of those administrative roles. Um, the client obviously is going to ask what's the fee for, and we always tell them the truth. It's to cover our broker fees. We've never kept a single dime in all the years. We've probably made $4 million off of this. Um, we've never kept any of it as a net profit. It obviously contributes to the fact that we have a net profit because it's going towards our overhead expense. And so where it does create heartburn for our agents is there are instances where the buyer won't pay it or can't, or the seller won't pay it or can't. And in those instances, the agent has to pay it. So this fee is not necessarily a fee just for the client. It's a fee to every agent within our organization. If someone's buying a house, we charge the agent. Clayton, today, if someone were buying a house and said, I'm not paying that, that's BS. My friend told me that you guys can't do that. And Clayton chooses to waive it. He'll have himself personally have to pay the $600 on the buy side or the $1,000 on the sell. And we actually just went down on the sell. It's 900 now, I guess, moving forward. Now, Clayton has permission then to reach out to Andy as the manager and say, hey, these guys won't pay it. You know, is there anything the brokerage would be willing to do to work with me on it? And or could I reduce my commission on the listing side to make up for the difference? And, you know, we can bless him doing something like that. But in most instances, the client will pay for it. It's not an issue. And if the client doesn't, it's usually because the agent hasn't been trained properly to collect. So if a team within our company um, is, is going to have their own admin, admin person, that's going to provide all the same support that we provide at the $600 to $900 level, then they can only, they only have to charge three. We only will require them to collect $300 at the brokerage level. Now that we're running the brokerage for all of the, you know, um, the least amount of work that the broker is going to have to do with the, like enlisting input and auditing the file. Otherwise they can then have their own admin person that's going to go in and uh, do everything contract to close on the buy and the list side. So next week, we'll actually get into every single line item of what's covered when the agent pays that 600 or 900 or the client pays the six or the nine. Um, typically on the buy side, it's a lot easier to get your client to pay because it's just built in to their closing costs. 
So when we write in the purchase agreement, seller to pay up to X amount and buyer's closing costs, prepaids, escrows, insurance, broker commissions, and any other allowable expenses. And they don't really balk at it because the seller is ultimately paying. Um, and the buyer is in the long over 30 years on the mortgage. On the sell side, it's a little bit more heartburn because you're charging them a 6% commission plus a $900 broker fee. But we always remind the seller that's only if the house sells. So just make sure to get an extra $900. So if they're freaking out about it and they wanted to sell for 200,000, I'll say, okay, our gold is now 200,900. Like it's not that big of a deal. You just got to get them a little bit more net to justify it. But it 100% has changed our business. And there's a reason we grew so fast. One of the main reasons was we built our support team around us so that we could be the best versions of ourselves. And most importantly, we were able to place our agents in a position where they were doing the highest income producing activities. Um, most agents get bogged down by, all the administrative work and they're too cheap or don't have the vision of hiring someone full-time to do their paperwork. But we saw that to make it our team grow fast and what was best for our agents was we wanted to provide them with full-time admin staff. But obviously I didn't want to do it out of my pocket as a rainmaker agent. I didn't want to spend the money out of my net profit. And so building this broker commission strategy was the way that we were able to grow. And so at the end of each year, we'd look at our budget and let's say I was spending a hundred thousand dollars a year on two positions. And at the end of the year, we had a surplus of 40,000 that would tell us that we were ready to hire our third person. And usually every time we'd add a new person, it was a part-time position. So if there was a surplus of 20 grand, we'd hire a, a part-time person. And then once the surplus went up, we'd hire that we'd make that person full-time and it all works in the reverse. So if your business drops, 50%, your, all of your positions are going to drop by 50% as well. You're going to back people off from full-time to part-time and you might lose some people, but your goal with broker commissions, it's going to be the same conversation with marketing service agreements is to lead with revenue. And that's essentially, that's predictable in income, predictable revenue. Um, don't spend money that you don't have. So the next part is marketing service agreements um, that we'll get into the week after next. This idea was first presented to me and I think I talked about this last week a little bit, uh, by Boomtown's salesperson, David Yim. Uh, David was telling me about their platform and it would cost $1,500. And um, in 2011, that seemed like a lot of money to be spending on a platform for a three-person team. Um, and then he explained to me that if I had a lender, um, if I had a lender or home inspection, home warranty, title company, insurance company, that we were sending a lot of deals to, they could help me offset the cost of that Boomtown platform. And of course, today, everyone knows these just as MSAs and everybody's doing it. In 2011, I got a lot of slack for doing it. People saying it's against RESPA. And we'll get into that a little bit more in depth in two weeks from now. But um, what we've came, come to learn is that everyone has MSAs, everyone being any large playing team. They can call it something else. It, you know, If somebody comes and they just bring breakfast once a month or they take your team out for pizza, that's a marketing service agreement. Even if they're not paying to help generate leads, there's an agreement there from a marketing standpoint, you're allowing those people access to your team to sell their products. So um, legally, if anyone is giving you money through an MSA, buying pizza, literally buying breakfast one day out of the year and or giving you $10,000 a month. And when I say giving you semantically, it's never going to you, it's going to the entity in which the leads are gonna get generated. If that's ever happening, you have to have that person on your affiliated business arrangement disclosure. And so what we do is we create a vendor list and Andy will share this with you in two weeks 
And when we have them sign an affiliated business arrangement, we say we have an affiliated arrangement with, and it shows all the companies I own. And then it'll say, in addition, there may be compensation or other ancillary benefits of you choosing to use any of our vendors. And we make sure that they sign an agreement showing that they understand that any of those vendors, you know, might be giving us money or, and or providing us with breakfast or some type of other benefit. So with MSAs, if you're generating, like in the beginning when we started our MSA, first MSA in 2011, I had two lenders. Um, it was $1,000 per lender, so $2,000 a month. So that covered my Boomtown platform. And then it also covered 500 in lead spend that I put towards Google Ads at the time. And then I ponied up another 500 to the 1,000. I don't remember, but I think it was 1,000 uh, towards Google Ads and or Facebook Ads. So with Boomtown, uh, $1,500 for the platform, and then $1,500 was going towards leads. And my goal was to zero base at 100%. Well, there were all sorts of rumors that you could never have your MSAs cover 100%, which is not written anywhere. If anyone can show me that, I'll give them a $100 gift card. I've heard a lot of people say it. Um, I've never seen it any, in any legal writ. So if you can show me RESPA or Realtor or any of these national companies that govern us, that you can show me that you cannot have 100% of your marketing costs covered, I would love to see it. I've hired local counsel to look over the laws um, and I don't believe that that's the case. So I know Zillow was the first to spread the rumor. And when people started paying Zillow, Zillow required that the agent would pay half and that the, the ancillary paid half. And the reason I believe Zillow did that was they wanted to make sure when the ancillary went away, which was inevitably gonna happen because most agents don't follow up on their promise of sending leads. Zillow wanted to make sure money was gonna keep coming in. So they have the agent commit to a year's worth of 500 a month and the ancillary commit to a year's worth of 500 a month. The ancillary goes away, agent's still on the hook. Well, what happens if you just let the ancillary be 100% on the hook, ancillary goes away, agent says, sorry, my ancillary backed out. That is why I believe they sit, people say it has to be 50-50, but I do not believe legally it does. So if someone could prove me wrong on that, I'd love to be proved wrong. Um, I've yet to see it. Um, there's been there have been several great, really great podcasts, but one that I speak to a lot in reference is the one with Steve Murray, who owns Real Trends. He interviewed a RESPA attorney. It's about a one hour interview. Um, I'm sure you could find it if you Googled it. But essentially, the RESPA attorney outlines what the rules and obligations are inside of those agreements. And I'm going to get into that with you guys in two weeks from now to show you exactly how those arrangements need to be structured. So one of the things I don't share on my podcast, but I'll share with you is that we don't have signed contracts with anyone. So when I say marketing service agreement, it's a verbal agreement. Uh, we've chosen strategically not to have a legal uh, contract created with MSAs because if the laws do change, you then have to continually update your contracts. And I didn't want to have to do that and have a contract put me in a position where I'm doing something illegal or contrary to policy. Um, and then the last bullet uh, item that I wanted to speak to today is ancillaries and, you know, knowing the right time to launch an ancillary business. Um, for us, we first launched title and insurance in 2016. So it took five years, 2011, we launched the team. We start building all of these marketing service agreements. We got up to $12,000 a month in MSA contributions that were all going to Boomtown and that were all covering our lead costs for Google ads and Facebook ads. We did Zillow for a while, but ROI didn't even come close to comparing with Zillow. And so we put all the budget towards Google, Google and Facebook. Um, in time, starting this year, we launched our mortgage arm. Three or four years ago, as far as the ancillaries are concerned, we started our investing arm, Dynamic Properties. 
Um, we also have been wanting to start property management, haven't gotten into property management yet, but I think that makes for a great ancillary in real estate, especially if you're representing a lot of investors, you can use it for yourself and for your clients. And then digital marketing. I never hear agents talk about this or brokerages, but we recently launched Verly. I know I've talked about that a couple of times on our show. Um, Verly is a digital marketing company that does everything from business cards to vlogging, virtual reality, 3D Matterport, um, headshots, uh, bomb bomb video type of videos for the agents and or any of our other ancillaries to use. All the social media engagement, all the you know, creating all of our social media websites and posting on those sites and writing blog articles, all of that is done through our digital marketing company. So thinking about, obviously today, we, a lot of us would outsource that, but eventually when you bring it in-house, anything you think you should bring in-house to use internally, you should also think, is this going to make a great business opportunity that I could scale across my city or across the country? So we've considered it even with like our sign runner would be another ancillary. We own a sign running company. Right now, they only work for us but if we wanted to, we could scale that business and make that available to other companies in our area. And I think the best ancillary businesses to start are ones that can be fed outside of your team or outside of your brokerage. So my intent with title mortgage and insurance was that all of them would be supported by other agents across other brokerage brands, not just needing to be supported by my team. So believe it or not, um, that's probably, those are the biggest three topics I wanted to cover today. Those are the kind of the rabbit holes that we will go down. I just wanted to kind of give a 10,000 foot view. And I knew that you guys would have a lot of follow-up questions even today to kind of create some clarity around some of these points. So I'm going to turn it over to you um, to ask any questions. But in, in essence, philosophically, the goal with all three of these strategies was to help us be able to pay the agent more commission. So anytime you get pushed back by agents trying to do this and they say, oh, you're all about money. It's all about greed. Say it is all about money and greed. I'm trying to put more money in your pocket and they'll roll their eyes and not believe it. But if you look at the national average for what companies pay, typically the more commissions they pay out, the less value they offer. And I wanted to be in an environment where I could pay out just as much commission as everybody else that's selling the farm and still be able to provide great value at the back, you know, in our back office. Um, and transaction management is a huge part of that. Lead gen, strong CRM, all the different systems and technology that support our group. And most of that is getting paid for through these zero basing strategies with the broker fee and the marketing service agreement and or the ancillary. So the last piece to this is that when you do choose to start the ancillaries, they then will need to be paying in. Obviously, you can't just stop receiving that $12,000 a month revenue. Those ancillaries will have to pay in as well. And then it hurts a little bit more because you own some of that or all of those ancillary entities, um, but they're helping to put, pay for leads. And the goal is that those leads come in, a certain percentage of those leads are going to close with your company. And if they do close with your real estate company, they're also kicking some opportunities back to the ancillary. So net, net, those ancillaries will create clarity as well. And they'll have predictable revenue and they'll know every, you know, $500 they spend, they should close one deal. Just like right now, every $500 they spend, we're able to close a deal. One transaction every 500 is what we've been averaging in for nine years. So all of the ancillary businesses should track that. They won't. And so we track all of that for them. And so we'll show you guys how we were able to do that as well um, when we cover MSAs and how we go about asking for more money. I think this came up, maybe Bernard asked this last week, but we want to be able to know when we're receiving too much money, meaning we're not holding up our end of the bargain and sending them enough deals and the reverse. Now, legally with RESPA, you can never go to a vendor and say, hey, because I gave you four people, you owe me $2,000. 
but there is an algorithm or a formula to know how much to ask for. And really the way it breaks down, independent of which business entity it is, you, I believe you should get $500 for every one deal in most business entities doesn't apply to all. So like for home inspection, that wouldn't apply because they only net $50 every deal you give them. So you're not going to obviously have ask for 500 every deal when they're only making 50 bucks every transaction. So each ancillary is different. You got to understand their business model. We'll talk about all of that um, in two weeks from now. So you guys know exactly how much to ask for. So that's the 10,000 foot view. Um, I know I finished sooner than 30 minutes, but wanted to download kind of what the next three weeks topics are going to be. Um, would love to hang out with you guys for the next half hour or so and answer any questions you might have about any of those, even though we will go deeper and or any other topic that you guys want to talk about today. Another, yep, a couple of hands went up in one sec. Another thing I would be really curious about is to see um, how many of us here are charging a fee uh, to our clients. I think everyone's on the same screen for me right now. Let me see. So out of a show of hands, who here is charging a broker commission on every transaction, either on your purchase agreement or listing agreement, there's some type of an additional expense. Anyone that didn't raise their hand, are you not allowed to in your area? I know there's certain states where you can't. Anyone have a broker that doesn't allow it? Because I see that a lot too. Teams won't charge it because their broker won't allow it. Okay. And then out of everyone who here has at least one marketing service agreement over $500 a month or more. So you have a partnership or marketing agreement with someone that's paying in $500 or more towards something. Not very many. Matt Mick, you guys don't have MSAs? I don't think Matt's listening. Yeah, thank you. Don't think I'm not watching. I'm always watching. <laughs> All right. So um, let's jump over to Bill real quick and then Bernard. Go ahead, Bill. Hey, Jeff. Good morning. Or good afternoon. Good morning. Um, yes, I have a bunch of questions about this. Uh, so I said and rose my hand that uh, we do charge a broker free. Unfortunately, I sold my company to my broker a few years ago, and he's the one charging the fee. Have you run into a case where you're with a broker and they also had their own administration fees on top? Absolutely. That's what I said. So when I got licensed in 2006, my broker had a $100 administration fee. Okay. For off-site data storage. And I, I raised a ruckus because I thought it was BS. I knew they weren't storing any data and I knew data could be stored in the cloud. Even in 2006, you could store data in the cloud. Why did you have to have a physical location? And so I said to them, well, fine, I'll collect $100 for you every transaction. I'll be your minion, but let me charge more than that and whatever I get to keep more than that I keep for myself. And that's something they allowed me to do. And I've allowed my agents and now um, at a team level, and I now allow my agents at a brokerage level to charge anything they want over and above what our brokerage requires. And they can keep the difference. The big part to that is that they have to have justification of keeping the difference. If they can't justify it and they're keeping it as net profit, we're not going to allow them to do it. It has to be value for the client. Correct. And so then 600 on the buy side. We're doing three, six, nine. So six on the buy, nine on the sell. And you'll see all of the things we offer with that next week. Um, the 300 is if it's an investor. We're not going to get them for 600 every deal or 900 for every deal. Okay. It's an investor that does more than one transaction. On number two through 200, they're only going to pay the 300 bucks. And then also... Um, if an agent has a team and they have a full-time admin person that's been elite certified, then they can charge, they can only have to pay the brokerage 300. Even if they're charging 600 and 900, they'd only have to pay us the three. We'll let them keep the difference and it'll go to their admin person. And what about, so it's a, based on a 6% commission as well. What if your agent comes to you and says, Hey, I can, I can only get this listing at 5%. 
It doesn't matter what the commission amount is that they've agreed to. The broker commission stays the same. The only time that that changes is if the client negotiates that, let's say they won't pay the 900, but they'll pay 250 because that's what the competitor charges. The agent can, can be empowered with permission to drop their commission, the difference of the cost of that commission of the broker fee. So let's say that the agent charges six with the 900 and the client says, Hey, I'm only going to pay 200. The agent can take a six, his or her 6% commission less $700 and do the math on it to figure it out at 5.7% would then be the commission amount okay. so that the agent doesn't get stuck. If the agent doesn't do that, then the agent's going to have to pay for that fee. The okay. fee is really truly legally to the agent. So we're charging our agents three, six, nine on every buyer list side to have back office support. And if the, if the agent wants to, they can have the client pay for it. And we've shown them how, and we teach them how in dialogue training. But in an instance where the client won't pay for it, then the agent's going to have to pay for it. And that happens, what percentage of the time, Clayton and Renee? Less than 5%. Yeah. So what, so what we just did, I don't know, do you guys do even splits there, 6%, 3 and 3? We, we are that. not. Even in Omaha, we're 60-40. So our listing side keeps 60%. So on a 6% listing, the listing side keeps three, six and pays out two, four in most instances. I think I um, remember that because that's why we just adjusted ours 30 days ago to go along those lines. Yeah. So cool. That's enough out of me. I'll let somebody else know. Oh, that's great. Good questions. Thank you, Bill. All right. Bernard was next. And I, where did he go? I, I think he left us. So anybody else have a question? All right, Justin, go ahead. Got me. I'm muted. No, you're good. I hear you. I, un I oh, did cool. it. I unmuted you. Hey, how are you? Hey, thank I'm you. great. And also, thank you to all of those great students that follow the rules and put their city state next to their names. I'll take note of those that didn't today, and I'll be sending you <laughs> something in the mail. Go ahead, Justin. Hey, uh, so uh, years ago when I started with you, I, I always had this limiting belief on this whole collecting thing. And so I have actually overcome that, and we are charging it. However, we're, we're just covering our cost to our brokerage. So our transaction fee is 945 on every deal by ourselves to our brokerage because we're on a 95.5 with the brokerage. Well, my team is, I'm 100% with the brokerage. Yeah, real quick, but, how um, much does I, your brokerage require per uh, transaction? It requires 945 per transaction. And you're so a team at a brokerage, right? Correct, yeah. Yep. So you just built that into the consumer and they're just paying the fee that your broker. So they're just paying that fee, but we're not making anything extra right. because yeah. I've tried, I've tried to go like, Hey, it's a $1,500 right. fee. Just to make an extra 500 bucks. And clients like, dude, you're making $25,000 on this commission already. Like we're not going to, I don't, uh, we're going to go with somebody else. You know what I mean? Right. And so, but your I've broker's deal like, is 95, five and a thousand bucks a transaction. And you were able right. to at least go and offset the thousand by charging right. the fee to your client. So okay. I feel pretty good about that, but I know that you'd, push me to challenge me on that so um but uh yeah so just any thoughts on i had to push that a little bit uh to get that 500 or that extra dude how many times and this is all great and i'm glad justin's bringing this up and he's in a much higher price point um how many times do we go and buy something bigger ticket items and we're nervous about the purchase because we don't do it very often so let's say a car as an example yeah built into the purchase agreement on every car that you ever buy at a dealership there's going to be a processing fee yep processing fee shouldn't they yeah, already do that for you yeah we call that a 945 processing fee that goes you know that's just our processing fee and i've tried the, the little bit higher i guess i just gotta um uh, get over it and keep so the point i'm getting to though is my language so. shouldn't that be part of when you buy a car like shouldn't that be built into the commission and this is the same argument yeah, the same 100%. mindset that the client has yeah. and the truth yeah. is that the consumer typically won't challenge it 
especially yeah. if they don't have to pay for it. The buyer doesn't right. care. You charge them 1500 2000 If you say, we'll negotiate to have the seller cover the cost of this, the buyer's right, not going right. to push back. And more, no, yeah. Normally, if we get pushback, it's on the opposite side. But Justin, I think you're doing awesome to at least cover that. Thanks. You're zero basing the cost with your brokerage other than the 95.5 that they get to keep forever, by the way. Yeah. There right, are, cool, there thanks, are other models out there. We should get into that. Let's get into commission caps. All right. See Justin trying to get off the call really fast. You know, there are brokerages where you only pay in up to X dollar amount, like 25 yeah, grand we have, a year. We have the same thing. Yeah, we have the same oh, okay. thing. It's a 15, 15 grand cap. So. Oh, so you pay a 95.5 until they keep 15 and then you're done? Yeah. And they get a thousand forever though. Correct. That's I'd where I get crushed because I do a ton of transactions. So I'm, I'm just getting, you know, yeah. killed on that. So. Well, and we charge just the same. I mean, we're six and nine forever. There's no cap on that because again, yeah. that's what, that's the support. And I bet your broker would argue the same thing. Yeah, exactly. So. All right, cool. Thanks guys. Thanks. Uh, what else? All right, Bill, back to you. But just I, because I, I heard you say something about you, you'll, you, you represented a buyer that you'll uh, include that fee out of the seller's side in the negotiation. Can you just tell me a little bit about what, what that looks like? Yeah. So typically you can negotiate the seller to cover part of the buyer's closing costs. It doesn't happen in every state, but it happens in most. And so what happens is the buyer, let's say they're buying a $200,000 house and they need 10,000 in closing costs and they offer, um, oh, two, gotcha. okay. instead of offering 190, okay. they yeah. offer 200 and ask for 10 grand in closing understand. costs. So just include in the closing costs. Right. All right. Yeah. Just one of the line items in the closing costs. Yep. And I'd recommend if you're not already doing this, you always write in to that sentence and any other allowable expenses. That's what I already write. Perfect. Okay. Then you're set on that. The only issue you have is if they're getting a certain type of financing is at FHA where they only can pay up to 3%. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the broker fee will be the reason they push over, but do mm -hmm. not make it the broker fee as the reason. Make yep. it any of the other fees were the reason that they went over, not the broker fee. Okay. Thanks. Cool. Good question. All right. What else? Want more? Bernard, your hand was up and then you vanished for a little bit. Do you want to ask something? Yeah, I kind of got tie on, so I figured I'm just going to disappear. <laughs> nice haircut. <laughs> Thanks, finally. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we, you know, we brought our first lender on, first MSA, and, you know, everything's agreed on. And then I kind of backpedaled a little bit, started talking to the attorneys after I talked to you um, last week about it briefly. And, of course, our lo local attorney has no idea regarding Vespa, but he's kind of raising the flags, what have you. Um, so I brought that up to the mortgage guy who's working for the big mortgage company. They're going to run it through compliance on their end. But do you have anybody um, that you can refer me out to, uh, an attorney that specializes in rest of the questions? I can't just run it by him to make sure. Yeah, what's the question? Just well, out of curiosity. If, if what, what we are trying to do is you know, to have this run through Boomtown, that the, um, our lender is paying um, towards the advertising spend, so you want to know if that's legal? There's 5,000 teams doing it right now with Boomtown. Uh, how many clients are there with Zillow? 150,000 clients are doing it with Zillow. It's one hundred. So I, I, you should always check with an attorney, but it is 100%. It's definitely legal. What I will tell you is that banks are going to be governed differently than private mortgage companies. So typically banks are going to be following up, man, private mortgage companies follow the CFPB guidelines, but I've had a lot more success getting contributions from private mortgage companies um, and broker shops that sell the paper than I have through banks. So just as a quick delineation for you guys. Uh, but yes, 
Renee Mueller, would you mind sharing your contact? Oh my gosh. Would you mind sharing your contact with the group, please, in the chat? So we've been working with a person who worked for RESPA for 13 years to create our mortgage and our insurance entities. And so he does a great job. He's $650 an hour. So tread lightly and quickly with him. He always wants a small talk. I'm like, no small talk, just question, answer. Let's go. Two-minute phone call. I've been clocking it. I mean, it's expensive. But you can drop him an email sometimes. He'll do some pro bono stuff if it's a simple question. If your question's just, can you do a marketing service agreement? Yes. And that's it. One of the question is if it's in our local area, because last time I talked to you, it's like, yeah, you know, it's all legit, but you always have to make sure you check in our area. But the way I understand it, RESPA is national. It doesn't, there's no so, local. And I'm saying that sentence to take the monkey off of my back. And this is recorded. So everybody, if you, anything you do, no matter what it is, you always should seek legal counsel. All right. All right. Great question, Bernard. Bill, back to you. Uh, I told you I had a bunch of them. You're good. Um, so on to those MSA agents. So we're not um, Boomtown. We're real geeks. I got to yep. check to see whether or not a real geeks will allow payment from other people. Absolutely. Um, Everyone will, anytime you ask that sentence, will someone allow payment? The answer is always yes. If someone's willing to give money, I had someone depositing a $20,000 check this week. Um, which was a distribution I got from my title company. And she said, Jeff, I don't have your personal checking account number, which is who they made the check out to. And I said, oh, they'll take the money. And she said, what do you mean? And I said, oh, you just go to the bank and say you have money to put into Jeff's account. I don't think they're going to stop it. So that's also, my, actually, I've never seen someone not take a, rest, um, a marketing service contribution. Can it be a direct payment though? Like, it, it, I know it's you required said you to, to be a direct payment to a third party. You, third everyone party. listening right now, you never will receive a dime from a marketing service agreement. Okay. That's why I started launching ancillaries. Now, I had a little idea a couple years back where I could start a marketing company with a separate LLC. And all of the businesses I had marketing service agreements with, I would close all the marketing service agreements and I'd have them pay my third party marketing company to generate leads for them. Then I could keep money as profit if I wanted to. If you, you but they cannot right. pay your entity or you personally, they have to pay a third party marketing company that you own, or they have to pay a lead company like a Boomtown or a Real Geeks or sync or any of the ones that are out there that that is the biggest thing and we'll get into that like i said in two weeks you cannot receive money from your uh, marketing service agreement partners the money should not go to you so i'll go off topic a little bit then so um something you touched on you talked about the, the 80 20 split the 70 30 split and i've owned a broker for a brokership for a long time and there was never really any money in it until you get into these fees um so are, you're you're your new agents that start with you, and I'm only interested in a small team. I've done the big company stuff. Um, you start those off at 50, and what you're saying is, as those agents progress through their career, you give yourself the you know the pliability to get to these other numbers, these other splits, in order to hang on to them. So if our goal is to make $25,000 a year per person within our organization independent of how many properties they sell. So we know uh, a third of our deals are going to come from agents that are cappers. They're doing over 12 transactions a year, which in Omaha is about $3 million in sales, which will bring us 25,000. We know a third of our deals are going to come from half cappers who are going to do six transactions a year, which is you know about $1.5 million. And that's going to make us 25,000 because that half capper is going to be at a 60, 40 um, or set uh, 50, 50 or 60, 40 split. And then a third of our deals are going to come from agents that are 
a third cappers, they're doing three or four deals a year at 50-50, and that's going to make us, our goal is 25000 So we have people come in, and they're 50-50 until their first 12 deals, 60-40, their next 12, 70-30, their next 12. And after they've done 36 deals on their 37th transaction, they would then become a 70-30 with a cap. And all of those also have education requirements along with them. And then to be a double uh, double team cap where you have as many agents as you want and you're make, you're paying in 50 grand a year for yourself as 25 and all your agents are 25 for a total of 50. You also have, there's education requirements in that to be qualified to have a team. Just like there's education requirements to have an admin person. And if they don't want to pay us the six and the nine, they can have their own admin to do the six, nine, but they have to be qualified. Okay. Does that right. answer your question? There's yeah, a lot there. Give me, and, no, give me a lot of insight. And it's all taped. So, <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, you can go watch it at any time. So the, the point though, Bill, is a lot of teams aren't profitable either. And this is why rainmakers sell the rest of their life. They're rock stars. Truly, they're on a stage until the day they die. And I never wanted to be a rock star. I wanted off the stage. I wanted to put other people on and then eventually get them off the stage and, you know, build a mousetrap that allowed people to become business owners um, and not handcuffed to their business. Uh, but a lot of people don't know where the profit's coming from. They assume it's the commission, but it's not. That's not where I don't think that's where the win is. Um, I heard someone say once in Keller William land recently that you break even on your cappers and you make profit off everyone else. So the goal of cappers, all your big producers, it's, a, it's the mindset's usually reversed with a brokerage. You think you make all your money off the bigger players, but really the goal is the bigger players cover the costs. And then all of the other people that are onesie twosies are actually making you money. And you could look at it the reverse. You could say all your onesie twosies break you even. And then all your big players are the ones that actually make you the revenue. But where I saw it was, hey, what if I could actually own all the other ancillaries? Literally everything that has the highest profit margin, everything was in one place. And that's now obviously coming to life here in the next six weeks, all in one location. And that's what I think is the model of the future. I think every person should own when they're doing enough transactions. You gotta be at about 500 transactions a year, 500 sides that you can control. And then you should own your own mortgage arm, title arm, insurance arm, investing, property management, digital marketing, and all of those other things. Understood. Awesome. Thank you, Bill. What else? And it doesn't have to stay on topic. You guys can get into anything. I'm here for the next 20 minutes. Well, okay. All right, Sam, you're up. For uh, prospecting uh, expireds, do you guys use Vulcan? Yes, sir. How do you how do you structure that? Do you have ISAs that are doing it, or do yeah. you offer that out to the agents on your team? Yeah. So let me speak to this for a minute. Um, first off, to semantically delineate your question as to do we use Vulcan, I want to make sure everyone knows you can find expired data in your MLS. Every day you can pop on and just search expireds. And then you can cross-reference the addresses with the county assessor's information. Um, look at the deed of transfer statement and find a cell phone number. Well, I used to do that for about six months. You could find out all this information on your own. And then I heard of a company out of Utah, Provo, Utah, actually called The Red X. And The Red X was able to do all that for me. They were able to include do not call registry lead so you knew not to call you they put out the expired the for sale by owner all this data um, and you could call on it well then i heard about vulcan 7 and the big difference was vulcan 7 gave you all the same data the red x gave you but in addition to that they gave you names and numbers of next of kin so if you go to call someone and the numbers has been disconnected which happens a lot especially with foreclosures and stuff 
um, you're able to find the, you get like four or five references of the niece, the nephew, the son, the grandma, the grandfather associated with this person. And you just call and say, Hey, I'm trying to get a hold of so-and-so I'm interested in talking to them about their house. And it made it easier for us to get in contact with people. So how we use Vulcan 7 today, they do, um, I think that they used to have exclusive rights per city. They only had so many platforms. I don't know what it looks like now. We've been with them now several years. Um, but we pay, I, I think, a couple hundred dollars a month, maybe 250 bucks a month. And there is, I believe, an API with Boomtown. So every lead from Vulcan 7 that comes in, all expired, FISBOs, withdrawns, et cetera, can come in as leads. We choose to put them all into one place, um, and that's just in our generic elite. We call it our elite account, our brokerage account with about 50,000 opportunities, and anyone can work those leads. And we don't take a split as if it's a brokerage lead. We let the agent keep their sphere split on all of those. So we're, just put, we're taking all the leads out of Vulcan, putting them into our CRM, making them available to all the agents, tagging them as expired, withdrawn for sale by owner. And then the rule on our, within our company is that once you've communicated via text, phone call, direct message, instant message, any type of communication, the person's responded to something, they can take the lead out of the, the tank, the shark tank or whatever you want to call it, uh, the 50,000 lead account, and they can put it into their own account and then they own the lead. But without communication, they're not allowed to take it down and put it into their own account. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Good, Sam. No follow-up? Okay. All right. What else? All right. Going back to Should I let Bernard ask another question? Should we shove Bill and Bernard off? Does anyone else have anything? Oh, Ted has one, Bernard. We're putting Ted in front of you. All right. Let's see, Ted, if I can get you unmuted. Oh, I muted you. Sorry, you beat me. Go ahead. <laughs> Sorry about that. Hey, so uh, I, I recently purchased the local Omaha RIA, and I, I like what you do on the podcast. And I'm looking to start a podcast. Any advice you have for starting a podcast? Cool. I had a curiosity with the group. Does anyone else have a podcast that they're on, that they have of their own? No one else in the group. So my advice is everyone should have one. And everyone should have one to talk about the things that they're interested in talking about. Um, I went out and probably visited over 100 brick and mortar offices back in 2011, 12, and 13, intentionally to learn more about building and scaling a dominant real estate team. And then I implemented all those things. And then I was invited to be on a ton of real estate podcasts. And then I realized that the real estate podcasts I listened to sucked because they always talked about selling real estate. And I didn't want anything to do with selling real estate. I wanted to learn how to not sell real estate. And so I believe I was the first and continue to be the only real estate podcast that doesn't teach anything about selling real estate. It only teaches people to quit real estate and focus on building businesses. So um, as far as advice, the tech is cheap. These are, this is a $150 microphone, even though it looks really cool. Get them on Amazon. They're about 150 bucks. Um, I'm actually going to be doing a podcast on how to do podcasting. Um, I've been doing it for four years. I have over hundred reviews on iTunes. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube channel. Um, and pretty much all the other places that it syncs to. Um, and then just have a systematic way of getting interviews and just, you know, it's easy to do that too. Everyone wants to be on a podcast and tell their story. Um, I'd recommend keep the episode short. Most people only spend about 20 minutes listening or watching a podcast. So there's like Jocko Willink's episodes are three hours. I'd love to see what percentage of those episodes actually get consumed. Um, I like a 20, 25 minute episode. They don't have to be recorded. No one's watching, like less than 5%. Out of everyone in this group that listens or follows our podcast, how many of you watch it? Out of that show of hands, any of you watch it? 
So yeah, no one watches, everyone listens. We get 3,000 downloads per episode. We average 12,000 downloads a month and that's with four episodes going out a month. So it's about 3,000 per episode. Um, have a systematic you know, approach in that don't start a podcast and then only do one or two and then wait six months. You're gonna, you're gonna lose your audience. So that's a big deal. Also having an email list. So like if they listen on iTunes, you don't have their email address. So have a reason why they need to go log in for something. Giving away free content's the best way to do that. And so we give away free stuff all the time. Growwithers.com. You can get my free business plan. You can get our keynote. You get our listing press, buyer press, all sorts of stuff. And then we capture their email. And then we send out an email every time a new podcast releases. Out of everyone in this group, who gets an email when a new podcast releases? Just out of curiosity. Most of you should. If you haven't yet, Jonathan, go out to EliteRealEstateSystems.com, click on podcast, and give us your email address. Because I think it's way better. I know I have iTunes and I listen to my podcast on iTunes, but I don't allow for push notifications because they're extremely annoying. And so I go out and I'm like, oh crap, there's seven more podcasts by Joe Rogan and I totally spaced. But if I had an email come in every time there was a new podcast, then I might pay more attention to it. The cool thing about the email is it talks about what's talked about and it has timestamps where you click on it and it'll take you to different topics. If you don't want to have to listen to the whole thing, you just want to go to the best parts of the podcast. So Ted, that's a quick download. I could keep going down this rabbit hole. I think it's a great idea. Um, in this room I'm in right now, let me see if I can take my camera off. I'm just in my virtual reality room in my basement. And my tech is two LED lights. These are $50 each on Amazon. I have one low, one high. I have to do a low one because I always wear my hat and I have shadowing. And then I'm just running on a little laptop. It's just a MacBook. So nothing special. Microphone, MacBook. Oh, I do have a Logitech camera. See if I can show you that by showing myself. I don't know if this will work. Can you see my camera? I guess you can't because this is the camera, but I thought if I could put it on one of your screens, you'd be able to see it. It is the, it's a $100 Logitech camera. So pay a little bit of money and you'll get a good, it made a huge difference. It's like literally this camera is five times better than the built-in. So what is that? All that stuff added up. I mean, I think you're probably under, with the laptop, you're $1,000, but take the laptop out of the equation. It's a couple hundred bucks. So the biggest thing is just being systematic about it. I found you on YouTube. You found me on YouTube? That's like where we, you first saw our content? Yes. Definitely. Oh, wow. Cool. Good feedback. What, were you just doing searches about the different types of things we talk about? Um, like I said, I've owned a real estate brokerage for 25 years. And then when we were in the midst of selling it, we knew we were going to sell it. Um, I started forming the team concept and started kind of looking for a lot of that information and you were one of the guys that popped up. You, obviously, Tom, and um, uh, what's brought out of South Carolina. So I kind of followed the two, the three years. So. Cool. Thank the you. Concept's Good, different, feed yep. Good feedback. I appreciate that. You know, and it's so interesting on the podcast. People always say, I don't know if I'm going to be a good fit because I do this thing really weird. My goal on the podcast is to talk about stuff I've never heard about before. So before I get on the air, I don't have questions ever. Um, I always say to people, what's your superpower? What do you want to talk about today? And um, I find it like I have fun as long as the topic's new and refreshing. If it's the same thing, I get so bored and you'll be able to tell. Like, I'm just like, all right, move along. Same thing. Everyone's heard this. When I went and listened, I listened to over a thousand podcast episodes. My leadership team total, we listened to 4,000 episodes. So what we would do, and this went for three years, each person had to listen to an episode and then we'd report for 15 minutes at the beginning of each of our um, brokerage alignment meetings, we'd each report on what we learned from the podcast. And listening to all of the traditional how to sell real estate podcasts, we would we got to a point, it took about a year, but we got to a point where we'd all four come together and say, there was nothing new. 
what we saw was it was just the same content cycling. And you guys will probably see that as well. So what I think is fun is to find people that are talking about things that nobody else is doing. So the last couple episodes, I've been talking about near field communication chips. I love talking about VR and grabbing my VR goggles. Um, obviously commission splits, uh, different split sh strategies, like where you're paying salary positions with little bonuses, um, giving people points, you know, point systems built with key performance indicators, tracking softwares like CSU, I think is cool. Lead gen is always going to be a topic that I think I find fascinating and lead conversion strategies, YouTube channels, creating hyper local content, which I know Matt, Mick, you've done a good job at that. Um, a lot of agents don't put enough time and emphasis into that. Uh, but creating hyper-local content on YouTube and then doing a soft close to say, hey, if you want real estate support or have questions about our city, feel free to reach out. But I just continue to try to perfect. There's actually, I have an ask for you guys if I can be selfish. I'm looking at optimizing my Google um, business presence and my website presence online. And I had heard HomeSnap does a really good job at that. There's a couple other national companies that I think help with that. But ultimately, I want to get more Google reviews, stronger Google placement. We're going to a new office location in six weeks. We're in a temp space now, so we haven't pushed our temp space because we don't want people to find it on Google after we move. But once we get to the new space, I'm in a 10 and a half year lease. And I want to make sure that we're pushing as much Google juice there as possible. So when people search KW Elite anywhere in the country, our page is popping up. So if anyone... Um, knows anyone, if anyone's really well versed at this and wants to speak to the group right now, feel free. If you feel like you have something you just don't want to share it with the whole group, feel free to drop me a direct message via Facebook or email or whatever you wanted to text me if you have my number. But we're looking for a, the best way to get our web presence out there locally and nationally when people search our, our name. You'd think Boomtown, because that's who we're through, would do that, but that's not really a big, strong component of what they offer. Bill. Doesn't your Verily uh, affiliation, you know, kind of help them? Aren't they there to do that? I mean, so I, everybody has everybody has a role. So Verily, um, virtual reality, we're, that's not what they do. That's not what their expertise is in. Um, there's actually a third party marketing company I use called Daycloud Studios that focuses on our social media engagement. So that's not really what they do either. Boomtown is more lead gen and they build out the back end of the website. That's not really what they do. Um, for viral marketing is another company we use and they help with our blog content and we do make sure the blog articles are written with SEO in mind to help bring people back to the website. But I have not found that any of these entities I just spoke of, um, focus on my Google business presence or how well my, my website is running. Um, what kind of engagement I'm getting on my Google business location like all of us should have google business right if i search your name and or your team name or your brokerage google should populate a little tab you click on it and it should show your reviews all the information about your company the hours of operation where it's geographically located now every agent that's in your company should tag themselves to that location just like on zillow if you have a zillow profile as a team you want to get all your agents to um, associate themselves with your team and then you want them to go claim all of their houses Google has the same strategy. You want to be sure you've, you're the primary person in your company that you own and then all of your agents are tagging to you. And there's a strategy out there too where people can have home offices as independent contractors. And I've actually heard this before and I don't know what best practice is, but let's say you have a brokerage of 100 people. Every person could claim that their home address was their office address and Google sends out this postcard. They put in the, the code number and they claim the house. Well, now when someone searches your brokerage name, Jeff Cohn Real Estate, as an example, the people will see a hundred different dots all across the city. Just like if you search McDonald's right now, 
You go Google McDonald's in your city and the map pulls up, click on the map. There's going to be an A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, J. You're going to see little bullets all over the place. So instead of all the bullets being concentrated to your one local specific location, I think it'd be pretty cool if all your agents associated their office with their home office versus the office office, just because then it explodes when people search it. But I don't know best practices. And this is why I'm asking to the group if they know of any companies out there that do a good job. Has anyone ever used HomeSnap? Show of hands. Clayton, you have? Maybe you're, yeah? All right, we'll have to talk about it. All right, Sam, I'm unmuting you. Go ahead. Uh, question about your investment team that, that you've built versus your sales team. If you started all over, would you do the same model that you did that you built your sales no. team? I would have bought a catamaran and just gone to Greece, filed bankruptcy, and hid along all the islands if I could do it again. Would you, would you build out the, the sales team first or the investment arm? Because I, I, right now, I, I have a couple of different clients that I work very closely with that would bring me into the deals if we found them. So I'm wondering, you know, for my personal time selling, should I be focusing on investments or on uh, traditional sales. Did you not like my catamaran idea? I, I love that idea, but okay. I, I might need the investment properties to buy that boat. Okay, there you go. Um, I think it can be both. So it's so interesting. I've been, I, I like went crazy in the single family world in terms of understanding how to own a real estate team and sell residential real estate. And then over the last four years, I've gone more crazy in the investment world. And I found that all these investment teams don't have the real residential arm and all the residential teams don't have the investing arm. They're the exact same business. Mm. They do lead gen, lead conversion, they go on appointments. And then what they're doing is they're losing revenue because they're referring a traditional deal to a traditional agent and charging a 25% referral fee. Or traditional agents are saying, oh, I can't buy that junky house and pay cash and close in seven days. I'm going to give that to an investor and let them make a 20,000 margin, but they get to make a $1,000 finder's fee. And so it's actually the same exact people. Literally right now, my two acquisition managers and my two disposition managers on my investment team are agents in my residential real estate business. The only pieces I've added is an operator to oversee the investment arm. Um, and he's hired a marketing company, a marketer, I guess I should say in one person. He's hired a general contractor and his brother who has his construction management degree. Um, we've outsourced property management, but the actual uh, people going on the appointments are agents for my real estate team. So I wouldn't start one or the other, I would just do both. Okay. Really good question, and a lot of people aren't applying that, but it, it does work. And what's beautiful with that is you go on an appointment sometimes on a house that you're going to list traditional, and you know it could, would make – like it's just a pile, right? Um, maybe mom and dad have moved into a nursing home, and the house is horrible. The kids are taking the house over, and they're like, well, what do you think we need to do to get it on the market? How nice would it be to say, you know what? You could put it on the market and probably make an extra 10 or 15 grand, but you're going to have 50 hours of work. I have a, a, the owner of our real estate company actually buys 10 houses a month. What if we had them come in and make an offer? And to be able to say that sentence, we've empowered all of our agents to say that it's a game changer and it works in the reverse. So you go on this appointment of this house, this person wants to fire sale and they say, we have six months. We're not in any hurry. And you're like, well, would you be willing to do this, this, this? They're like, yeah, we say that this might make a traditional sale. This is a great house. You could make more money just selling it on the traditional market and I can help you in either of those instances. So if you go listen to my podcast on investing, there's actually six ways that we believe are the best ways to generate revenue. One is list it traditionally. Two is to wholesale it, 
where you just uh, put it under contract and sell the contract. Three is to wholesale, where you close on it, put a thousand bucks in and sell it. Four is to flip it, um, just a traditional like you see on HGTV. Five is to hold it, you know, keep it as a rental property and, and follow the Burr strategy buy, renovate, um, rent, refinance, repeat. And then number six is the runaway. And in the runaway situation, those you actually should refer to people that you don't like, which happens all the time in the investment world. I just bought one yesterday. Let me show you guys this picture. This is horrific. You guys, it, this is bad. If you guys have to eat still, you probably don't want to see this. My, my investment partner and I were 50-50 in this business, sent me this picture yesterday and said, is texting me, locking up this beauty today. It'll be ours forever with an infinity emoji. <laughs> that is real, ladies and gentlemen. And we, I, I mean, that's just nothing like the traditional person would see that and be like, I could never live in that house. That's a $5,000 fix and it's going to look brand new and it will all be brand new product. But that scares people to see poop all over in a bathroom. This is the best thing that could have ever happened to us. Because nobody wanted it because they're scared of poop. It's like, we're going to tear all that out. It's not a big deal. So I love both is my long answer there. Yes, Sam. So your uh, investment company pays for the marketing for those leads. And I, I know uh, based on previous calls you've done on investment that your acquisition managers will do a, I believe, a flat fee or 1% or for the listing on your stuff. If we you yeah. don't buy a place and then your team lists it, does your investment company get compensated to make up for the marketing costs on that? Yep, so we pay our acquisition managers 2,000 each every time we buy a house. Our disposition managers get $1,000 each every time we sell a house with them. So of course, if we buy something and hold it, they're not gonna make money on the disposition, but if we flip it, wholesale it, or wholesale it, they're making money on both sides for 3,000 net total. If the lead was generated, by Omaha or Omaha's Lead Real Estate Group, now KW Elite. So the brokerage generates the lead, which makes money for DP. They owe, a, they'll owe 25 per, a 25% referral fee to the real estate brokerage and it works in both directions. So if we take it traditional and the lead was generated by the investment company, then the investment company will owe a 25% referral fee back to the person that gave them the lead. And if that person is the brokerage, then they'll owe 25% of the uh, revenue generated to the brokerage. And I actually started a call center like three months ago, a new call center that I've never talked about before that charges nothing. So we partner with investors all over the country and we don't charge anything except for 25% off of any capital event. So I say to someone, hey, I know you're, and it's only for businesses that are buying like 10 houses a month. I say, hey, let us help you generate more leads. They'll say, how much does it cost? I say, it's free. And they're like, well, how do you make your money? Well, when you buy a home or list it traditionally, flip a property, any capital event, even when you buy a, and hold and you determine what you think the value is, you pay us a 25% referral fee. And everyone's like, okay, so how do I lose? And I'm like, you don't lose. So it's just like my agents right now. They get to work all of our leads. We don't charge them anything to work the lead. It doesn't cost money to work a lead. When do they pay me? When it closes. They give me 50% when it closes, but it doesn't cost them anything. So that was my big, great, crazy idea of how do you get more investors to pay for a caller? You just don't charge them until they make their money. And everybody wants to do a deal like that. It's a win-win. 
Well, that's a wrap. Hope you enjoyed our high-level team leader training. Be sure to take advantage of the following trainings that go into the details of exactly how to implement the topics that we're covering on these high-level calls. If you want to learn more information about our high-level team leader training product, you can go out to EliteRealEstateSystems.com or schedule a customized one-on-one call with our Director of Growth at ERSDemoCall.com. Call.com.